Even though we've lived in this neighborhood for 12 years, you still feel kind of like an outsider, especially compared to those who have lived here a very long time. But I can usually adjust pretty well myself because I'm a born and raised lifelong Cincinnatian. Like when, I, when I'm out and about all over the country and traveling with people and they say where I'm from, I say I'm from Cincinnati, they're like, oh, did you move there? And I was like, no, like I just have never left the city, you know, and I've moved to various neighborhoods around here. So that at least puts me in a place where I can navigate through the nuances of the city. Like some of you uh, have heard me speak about this much, but if you've ever visited our city's west side, it's, a, it's an amazing, mysterious place where, where it seems like everybody's actually related to each other, that um, Catholic church fairs are happening every weekend, regardless of the time of year. Like it's this Place And then some people prefer to live on the east side. Then there's the far east side. And each neighborhood has it to the extent that, you know, if you're a native, you understand the vernacular. But if you're from elsewhere, it sometimes becomes difficult to find your niche in the midst of that. I remember it was right when we moved down in 2005, there was an article in the actual newspaper, like it was back before, you know, the web happened, but, you know, I actually remember I had this article in paper and cut it out of a, of a woman who was a local reporter for the Enquirer, and she had a column, and the month that we moved into the city, she was leaving, and she lamented the idea that I've lived in Cincinnati for eight years, and I have really no direct connection to this place. I'm going to leave as untimely as when I first arrived. And that just bothered me, especially as a native Cincinnatian, because I'm like, it's a friendly place. It's a place with, you know, lots of good people. How difficult can it be to actually ingrain yourself into the culture of the city? And then what's interesting is every few years, this same topic rolls back and back in the inquiry to where just a couple years ago, they did one of these things too, where it was just like so difficult for outsiders to come into Cincinnati and to find their place. And then the comments uh, on the article were some of the things that I really wanted to see too, because as much as uh, um, somebody can write that article, you usually get the visceral reaction of people on the internet. And some of the things that were said about that article was somebody wrote that we have never considered staying in Cincinnati. I shall not miss the continual feeling that I am on the outside. So somebody who was from the outside came in and then just says, sometime I'll leave and it will have been cold. Somebody else wrote, we could never find those deep friendships, those relationships that we found elsewhere. Another person wrote, to feel like a bona fide Cincinnatian all of you need to do is to hang out long enough for someone to ask you where you went to school. And by the way, just even this morning when I was in agreeing time, I asked somebody, it's just like, okay, I found out they were from Cincinnati. That's always how I preface it. Like, I will never start with asking somebody where they went to school, but if they admit that they're from Cincinnati, that's when I offer up because it's like this inside joke that we have. But you'll find out that if you're from Cincinnati, and some of you are like, why does that happen? And if you're an outsider, you have to recognize by your geographic location, when you say where you went to school, people can make general assumptions about you. You know, when you hear that Larry Buddy went to Walnut Hills, you assume that he's naturally stuck up because he's such the intellectual, right? Uh, when you hear that I went to Oak Hills, you're just wondering how I was able to navigate out of the west side of Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, some of you others, have, you know, I know there's some Mason alum, you know, we're just like, you, you were probably entitled in, um, you know, skin turkeys for fun or something. I think that happened one year when I was up in Mason. Anyone? 
Like, I really, they let barnyard animals through in the hall one year, and it was like this huge thing where it was like a professional investigation. The reason you ask why somebody, where they went to high school, is you start to make these assumptions about who they are. And if you're an outsider, and then you hear that, then what tends to happen is, is that the conversation can sometimes be limited by that. And then finally, this quote, if you are not from here, you're considered part of the wallpaper. It'd be interesting to ask some of you from out of town how that has been with you. And what I really find interesting, and this is something that's happened here in the church, and even though there are some people in this church that have been far part of uh, the Cincinnati community for a long time, generally we tend to attract people that are not from the city. And one of the reasons that they end up nestling here within our community and fellowship when they're from outside the city is that they are longing for some sort of gathering that will accept them. They are longing for community. So back in 2005, when we started this church, that was something that was very intentional about who we wanted to be. Previously, I was a minister on a staff at a very large church, and I loved it. It was filled with amazing people, and I felt like I had all these amazing connections and and enjoyed it, but I did not realize that those connections that I thought everybody could access were merely mine because of the role that I played on the staff of a church. I mean, everybody, you know, it's like you're on the stage, people see you. Everybody loves that guy, but it's more difficult when you're in the pews, to try to find these relationships. And that's the very reason that many of us connect to church at all. However much we have this spiritual need, we're looking for a place to belong. So we're in the midst of a a four-part series, and the idea about this is to go into the core values of this church. Not just that we're trying to promote echo and what it is, but to recognize that we have these values, and then if you become part of this fellowship and body, what we want to see is those values lived out in your life. How can you embody that? And last week, we talked about our core value of creativity, how God has made us, hardwired us, so that we are creative. But similarly, this week, as we move on to the second core value of connectivity, Activity, we start to realize that God also made you to connect with other people and to connect with other entities and to not live life in singularity. And that's something that within conversations about religion and faith, and we talk about Jesus or my Christianity, so often I talk about my personal relationship and we don't hone in on what God has done throughout history and through the now to connect us together through him. And that's what we want to talk about. And one of the reasons why this is so important to us, it will get down to this uh, unmistakable thing about who we are at Echo as being a church that's nestled in the city. Some of you who are transplants came to this city because of the opportunities it provided for you, maybe educationally, maybe through a work or job opportunity, or maybe it was just merely that a family member of yours had a job opportunity or educational opportunity in this town, and it brought you together. But one of the reasons that still today, in the midst of our technological changes that people flock to cities, is because it draws people together. 
Like, you look at Oktoberfest downtown, and as much as we want to decry it as this drunken, and it's not even a good drunkenness because it's filled with so much crappy beer, you're, you're wondering that Cincinnatians' proclivities to drink just really poor alcohol. But one of the things that people like about that is to come together and be in a place where there are other peoples. And, and this happens with us through, through educational connections, through job connections, through relationships that we have each other. People are drawn to cities, and that's why it was important for us as a church in the city to recognize what we are called to do. What we're called to do is connect people with other people. One of the other things that we're called to do that we try to do as a church is we're called to connect churches with other churches. We keep going back to one of the reasons within our community outreach that's so critical is that what we did here this summer by bringing seven Walnut Hills churches together in a like-minded nature to do something, it, it not only brings us together as a body, but it shows us the broader connectivity of us in the kingdom of God. And when we connect with each other, we are able to glimpse into God. And that's why this morning what I really want to talk about is this concept of biblical connectivity. You know, what's interesting is that when we started the church and we were talking about core values, we knew one of the things that we wanted to be within our DNA was this idea of connectivity. Back then, connectivity was still not really recognized as an actual word. You would get a red squiggly line in your Microsoft Word document because it was not addressed. But now you can see that the industry of connectivity is so large that it's actually become a commonplace term for us to bring ideas, our people, our institutions together is important. And it's not just this Johnny-come-lately concept. It's a biblical concept that is key. And we keep coming back to this. So when we go back to try to trace what that looks like, in Genesis chapter 126, we see at the very creation of the world, God is looking to speak the world into existence. And again, coming back to the idea of our church being called Echo, we, we, we come really cleanly into this idea that God speaks and we resonate his voice. God doesn't conjure things up. He speaks it into existence. And on the sixth day, he says the phrase, let us make man in our own image. So it's very interesting right here is that at the beginning of the world, God is actually using the plural to talk about creation. What he's saying is that let us and it's not like, you know, God has like his, you know, his neighbors down the street that are watching him or he's talking to the angels for their role within this. What we're talking about is this Trinitarian concept, concept this three-in-one that God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This idea that let us do this. And the importance of this then is the idea that God dwelled within his own community of the Trinity of the Godhead. So there was a connectivity between the three of those. And then similarly, within the creation of humanity, within our creation, we were forged then in the process of community. So you and I, existing in God's universe, his kingdom, exist within his community. And when we live as people who bear his image, we then bear within ourselves the DNA of community. So that's why you have this longing. However many of you introverts in the audience would prefer your Friday evening home with, you know, Netflix and a beverage and a pizza by yourself. Even though that speaks to you, at some other sense, you understand that there's this longing to be a part of people and group. And you might want to control that output, but there's this idea that that's who you are. We were created by the Godhead to live with the Godhead. This is all community. 
So God creates Adam, and then if you remember what the scriptures say in Genesis, where Adam was just alone, he was by himself, and God's like, this is not good. Like, you know, you leave a dude by himself alone in the garden, he's going to start screwing things up, right? He's going to start burning things down or tying tails of critters together, you know? And, and there's nobody to see him and dissuade him or even maybe encourage him along. God's saying it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to create community, female, and the two of them will be their own community. But this is what's interesting that we see. The basis of that is that even though community is a good thing, there's always the opportunity to, for community to go awry. You know, and some of you m- might have looked at the, I don't know, maybe that's the Juggalo gathering on the National Mall yesterday. I'm not sure how that looks out. But listen, all the time there are points where communities go awry. And we see that happening in Genesis 1. Because again, what was that first community, Adam and Eve, what did they decide to do? They decided to say, hey, let's eat of the tree of the knowledge of life. Let's eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And let's create our own world and our community can reign above. But friends, all community should sit subservently to that of God. So in Genesis chapter 3 and 3, 8, they eat the fruit. They understand they're naked. They run, and then I love this. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is anthropomorphism, right? Like, it's not like God was just like, I'm going to go for a walk. But there's like this cosmic moving. We don't even know what that looks like. Like, what, what is the sense of when God goes for a walk? Maybe there's just no other way for the biblical writer to be able to show this is what happens is God's coming in, and you know what he's doing within this? God is seeking his creation, humans, and he's just like, where's my community? Where's this tribe? And he's looking, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. garden. Through their sin, they are so embarrassed that what they did was they fled. Okay, so that's community dispersed. So that sin at the beginning of the world, however many ways we try to put this within certain theologies to discuss the emphasis of what it means, part of what that means is that we were created for community, not just community with you and me and each other. We were created community also on a vertical level with God. And what sin does is that disperses is it makes community difficult to manage. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of different churches or organizations But if you ever show me this organization where like, that's been the perfect organization throughout its entire history, I would call you a marketing firm because it's just not true. And actually, this is one of the things that haunts churches, right? Churches can so easily go awry. Just this week, it was crazy because in my job, I, I work with churches and I help them with their finances and I walk into a church and there was this church, I visited them a year ago. They were... They're in this rural part of Ohio. They're doing some amazing things. It was like a great story. And I came back in all smiley. I was like, how's this year been? And they're like, it's been hell. Because the two closest people in the staff, the senior leader and his assistant, had a huge rift and a fight and actually tore the church in half. And now they're struggling. Like that was be- It was beautiful community to terrible community within a year flat, friends. This is what happens. Is it just because, like, is it Satan's fault? You know, can we just throw that blame? No, the problem is it's sinful because at any time within community, you're going to have points where it's high and it's low just because we're, our sin is going to break that up. So we need to acknowledge that's there. So when we look at the process of redefining what biblical community is, we have to see where it was. In the first form of biblical community, um, I'm going to skip 
the Genesis 3 there. The first form of biblical community is through bloodlines. And that's biblical community through family. We see that through Adam and Eve. We see that carried on when God even decides to reset things through Noah when God said, I'm going to call the do-over of the earth. How does he choose them? The vehicle by which he chooses to save humanity is that of family. And he finds Noah and his sons and, and, and his wife and their lives. And it's interesting about this because we see Especially early in the Bible, God continually works through families. But here's the key, friends, that many churches miss on this. And it's interesting because the reason I won't be here next week is I'm speaking at another church. And what they, they're like, Steve, we need you to come in. And we, you know, because you're, you've been married for almost 20 years. You have a kid. Like, you know, we don't want the, the young, childless people talking about family. We want you to come in and preach to our church on like this biblical understanding of biblical family. And friends, I'm going to have just the sweetest ass time because... I'm going to go in and be like, by the way, biblical family, as we look at it, it's horrible. Like, do you want to have a good biblical family? Fine, you're mental. Don't. Because think about this. You know, God tries to work through biblical family. He calls Abraham, this man from, uh, from far away, to leave and come through. And he has his wonderful wife, Sarah, and God gives a promise. And he's like, hey, Sarah's actually your childless, but she's going to have a baby and she's like, he's old. And he's like, she's old. Like, how's that even going to happen? God's like, trust me. And then they think, you know what would be better is just for us to get like this pretty young thing and you sleep with her. And then that's how we'll start our family, you know, because that's what every wife encourages her husband to do is to get a concubine because that's biblical family. Worked out wonderful, right? Then you get, you know, you have Isaac and Rebecca, and that's funny because this is our arranged marriage family, you know? So Abraham says, hey, go back to the homeland, get a real good woman. The real good woman comes in, you know, they're all together, and then they have a couple kids, and those kids just absolutely hate each other, Jacob and Esau. They're just like, hey, let's just, you, you guys just ward out among yourselves. We're just, you know, kids will be kids, and we'll just let you go. And as a result of that, if you look at the implication of biblical history is that the, 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 the conflict between Islam and Christianity and Judaism starts all the way back to this biblical family gone awry. So you should start a family where your kids become warring civil war adversaries. Then we get to the family of Jacob, you know, who's the father of all these wonderful kids. And their kids are so in tune that like 10 of the kids are like, we should kill our brother. Like that's what would solve all of our familial problems. Like, you know, maybe some of you grew up with siblings. I talk about with this Kaylin all the time. I'm like, you know, you, you, you kind of missed out on siblings, but you don't because however wonderful it is, there's always this point where you actually want to kill your sibling. But no, they were like, we will kill him. And instead they're like, this is a good thing. Let's pretend we killed him and like kill an animal to show the blood to show that he's actually dead. Like all of these stories within the scripture that talk about biblical family, as ever much James Dobson wants to tell you to focus on it, focus maybe on your family, but not a biblical family because it's messed up. It's jacked up. But recognize this is that God doesn't leave. And I just say all this, friends, not just like, did Steve just say we should hate our families? No, but recognize this is that there's something more robust than family because where God tried to keep community through bloodlines, then the shift within the scriptures is God is trying to forge community through borders, that of a nation. And that's what emerges from this dysfunctional family, right? Is the nation of Israel. 
And they are freed as slaves from the Egyptians. And as God works them through toward the promised land, they're becoming a nation. And this should be something of significance that you think would work. Because you think then, if we can get all these people who then have a unified uh, allegiance, then they're going to move in the right direction. But is this not the perfect time to illustrate how wonderfully that's worked in the United States of America? Now look, we're, we're, not, we're not burning flags, and we don't even have a flag on the stage. By the way, this last week, I also heard about a church who really lost 100 people because they refused to put an American flag on the stage. And I was like, I love the kingdom of God. And I'm straight up riffing. When you give me a handheld microphone, I'm like Chris Rock or something. Let me tell you another thing. It's really bad. We need to get that, we need to get a lavalier back really quickly because then I'm just going to start drinking it. But here's the issue. I love the United States of America. Sue came to the FC game with us last night. I don't know if you're, they had a flautist play the national anthem and I was like, screw that, I'm singing. My voice is a little gone today because I was belting out the national anthem because God bless America, But at the same time, however much some of us want to return to a greatness of America as that once was, understand that America has never been this great, beautiful country as it is. We always look back in the history, and as much as we want to lift forward these people were her, there, were, there are atrocities that were committed on the behalf of our nation that were just grotesque. Now, mind you, that doesn't mean that we can't be good Christians and citizens in the same right. But don't believe that your your, nationana- your nationality, the community of borders, the nation in which you live, is the community to which God has called you first. So again, it's not that family is bad, it's not that nation is bad, but when God just said, I will use this as a vehicle to bring you together, it doesn't work. I always like to bring up this idea in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is one of the most profound texts ever. In the scriptures that get overlooked, what it links is the idea of God's moving through King David to what Jesus will become. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, we see this praise of David. How great are you, sovereign Lord? There's no one like you. There's no God as you. We've heard with our own ears. Who's like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself. This is the leader of a nation calling this down. And there's this romanticism within Christ followers. It's like, if we could just get a political following of people who did this, then America would be great again, right? Like, if we could just find the good man or woman of God to get this throughout all America, then everything will be great. But here's the problem, friends. It's the same thing as biblical family. It was never intended for perfection because recognize however much this is beautiful and David articulates this, by the end of his life, he himself contributed to the death of tens of thousands of his people because he preferred to cover up his personal sin and let them pay the penalty for it. And then his son comes and exacerbates that to the extent that within two generations, his entire nation is split up and it's never the same. And this is nation designed better than anything else, right? It's like, this is God's nation. That gots to work out, right? It does not. But this is beautiful about what we see in scriptures. So we see in creation that God has designed us for community. And God allows us to tease out, is family the ultimate community and it fails? Then God progresses to the point, is nation 
my optimal community, and then it fails. But where the scripture lands on is this, a community without bloodlines, without borders, and that community is the church. Now, reflecting on what I've said previously to lean in on this, because this is where the scriptures head. But again, recognize this, that that does not then mean that the expression of the local church is perfect and idealized. And actually, friends, the beautiful thing about this is that it was never designed to be that. Because the actuality of our community is in the head of the church, which the scriptures teach is Jesus himself. So Jesus is the head of the church. Even though we have these local churches with with elders, our pastors, our deacons, and all these different positions, the true head of the church is Christ. He's perfect. We are not, but this is the beautiful thing about the church, is that even when it's not working perfect, it can be redeemed through Jesus. And this is something within 20 years of ministerial experience that still baffles me today. I have seen horrible churches firsthand, and I've seen those horrible churches be the vehicle for some of the most beautiful ministry ever imaginable. That you can see out of the flaws of humanity, Jesus, head of the church, can redeem that to make it something amazingly beautiful. And that is what scripture really brings us back to. So understand this. It's not then about you needing to be part of the church because this is idealized. It's not. The thing I love about Echo is the stuff that we screw up and the mistakes that we've made over the past decade plus. That's what I love about this local community. But the thing that is most encouraging about that is that community sits under the authority of Christ Jesus and that's what blesses it. And that's why your connectivity within a church community is so important. So transition here, just three things for me to say about this, and I wrote them just to make sure that we get the emphasis. The church is God's means for revealing Christ to the world. Again, we live in a day and age right now where people are very high on Jesus, and they're actually incredibly invested within spirituality, but their opinion of the church continues to decrease. And the reason why is because we misunderstand what the church is. When the church invests itself for itself in trying to become this entity that is greater than Christ. That's where failure happens. But what we need to understand is that its importance remains the same because the church is how people understand who Jesus is. However screwed up your church background might be, if it wasn't for a church somewhere, you would not know about Jesus today. Do you realize that? You wouldn't. And again, maybe you have baggage like some of us do where you came out of a horrible church background, but recognize this is that even in the midst of that, Jesus works throughout that to reveal himself through gatherings of people. That flipped automatically. Can you go back to that? Second thing is the church forces us to live in connective accountability. Again, as I get into the church relationships, and this is where we're at, and I know we have people in varying levels of that. Some of you are visiting, you're from other churches. Some of you are looking for a new church. Some of you are part of this, but recognize this is one of the important things about a local church. Very important. The most important thing we overlook is that the church exists for me and you to live in some sort of semblance of accountability. And I mean me and you too, right? 
Like I was the founding minister of this church. I'm an elder of this church. And yet I still live in accountability to you as well. And similarly, we need to live in an accountability. The problem is, is that we're so anti-authoritarianism or maybe it's just because we're so dang proud to be an American that we're like, that's my right to do whatever I want, to say what I want, to be what I want. But recognize this, is that for me to really become the most optimal human being that I can be, I need the voices of other people to speak into that. And you... Many of you in here, even if you don't know me, I've allowed, I mean, like, some of you might not know this, but I've allowed you to speak at levels of accountability to me. I mean, it exists at these levels. Can I give you a great example about this? Before we moved here, we were in the other place down the street, and we were with the elders, um, and we were talking about, okay, we need to find a new place to meet. So I was like, I, I know every place in Walnut Hill in this area to do. And there was this wonderful thing that happened is that they had built this brand new building on Gilbert Avenue that was amazing, that had tons of room space, and it would have been really cheap. It was the casino at the bottom of the hill. And I was like, how kick-ass would it be if we were the church that meets in the casino? Like, I was like, that, I was like, I could work with that, Right? So I went to the elders at the time, and you know we're coming lists. And I was like, guys, we can be here and here, but let me tell you the best one. And I sold this great story. I was like, can you imagine that? Like people who were like they wouldn't come through a church, but they would come through a casino. And I was like, we could get cheap rent. There's plenty of parking. Like we would probably get good publicity. Like all this stuff. And I hit that pitch, and I hit the end. And Larry was in the meeting because with the other elders. And I don't know if you started or somebody else. I actually think it was Josh Nisley who started it, who Josh was the quietest man who ever lived. And he was just like, that's a horrible idea. (laughs) And actually, it just, it didn't even stop. But then it was like, yep, 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 yep. Like four people told me it was a horrible idea. So you know what I just did? I said, screw you. I'm starting a new church, Resonate Church, for for gamblers. No, you know what I did? You know what happened after that? I was like, apparently, the Spirit has used them to speak into accountability for me. So I just need to, and I dropped it. And by the way, I'll still fight you on, I still think it would have been an awesome idea. But here's the deal. That's not for me to decide because when I choose to live in accountability and community, I leave a part of myself at the door. Now ask yourself about this. Are there places in life where you're willing to do this? I'm a very proud human being. Some of you are like me. I'm stubborn. I'm determined. I feel like I'm a leader. I like to do my own thing and to chart my own course. But there's times where I have to stop and say, it's not about me. By the way, Susan, we, needed, we didn't do the committee update, the um, selection. We, we have to do that at the end. Because I'm looking at you and thinking about this. Just even this week, as we're trying to find a new minister, we've got a committee of people together. Because really what I want to do is I want to find who I want and just find that. And you guys have to deal with it. But that's not how life works, Right? We live in accountability. Now, just ask yourself this. Where is the accountability in your life? This is a safe place to find that accountability. I will tell you that. Okay? Does that mean it hurts sometimes? It does. But usually when we have hurt feelings on that, it's usually because our nature is trying to push us from accountability. That's why you need a local church, friends. You need to have places that keep you sharp. Then finally, what this happens, and the church repairs that shattering of Eden community, it brings us collectively back into the relationship with God together. So it's all of us approaching the throne of God. Do you see that? That's the key thing about it. This is why it's so important. Is the local church perfect? Is not. Is Echo Church perfect? Obviously not. But is it a chance for us to live in accountability so that we can somehow repair the sin of Eden? It is. And that's why it becomes healing for you and me. 
So what does that mean for us here today? A few things. First one, I want to start with this quote. Seth Godin he is a marketing guru. He's actually speaking. He's not a Christian marketing guy, but um, he, he's spoken at some church conferences that I've even attended for. I love this idea because he really stresses the idea of community, and I think it speaks to who we are as a church. Our job is to find the disconnected and to connect them, to find people eager to pursue a goal and give them the structure to go achieve that goal. But just as always, we start with an already existing worldview, a point of view, a hunger that's waiting to be satisfied. And what's funny is that he's talking about this from a business perspective, yet I would tell you that this is really the gospel expressed to the church. Because the idea is that the community exists so that we together can become who we need to be for Christ. Friends, this is it. If it's not here at Echo, then it needs to be somewhere where you need to be in community with other people to hold you accountable for this, to increase your spiritual walk and to live in some sort of level of submission so that you can be pruned and weaned into the person that you need to be. I love this because I'm in my 40s. I'm still figuring this stuff out, y'all. Some of you in your 20s, you know, you want to arrive. It's just, this is done over time. And that's why the, this is it's interesting. No bloodlines or borders here, right? That I'm closer to some of you, and I'm, I have a good family. I'm closer to some of you than I am even with my family because you know me even better than they do. So even though we don't have the same exact DNA, we bear the DNA of the creator God who brings us together. Okay, so what we need to do is then take this and just how does this work for you? How does that happen? Let me just tell you the, the, the ways that we do this here that's important. Number one, we come together to worship. You know, sometimes we, you know, we do three songs, we, we teach, we do communion. It's not flashly, y'all. You know what I mean? Like this is not like some huge production, but one of the reasons we do this is that we can all be in the same space at the same time, grappling with the same topics so that something might emerge out of that. Because here's the thing that's important about the local gathering, is that we know biblically that the Spirit lives within the believers of Christ, Right? So what we do when we gather together is we bring a lot of the Spirit into one place and we see where that happens. Right now, something I said here, and I've, I did not write any of this to target out an individual, but something I said here probably made you feel a little guilty. And you want to be pissed at Steve, but be angry at the Spirit of God because that's how it works. When we are together, you're going to be convicted from that. So that's why being here is a thing. Not so that we could pad attendance numbers, which we suck at because we don't even run attendance numbers, but because it's important for you to come into relationship. We do that through worship. A second thing we do is that we do that through just events and activities. You know, so when we're talking about on October 31st, when we're going to do a trunk or treat down the street in the bar parking lot and stuff like that, yeah, you know, it's something that's going to help, yeah, giving Free candy and goods away to children. Like, what is the long-term resonance of that? When we serve together, we see each other in different lights. And again, some of you, I know you that much better because we have, you know, Dylan was talking about how he got roped into, him and Eric were like moving some lady this weekend arbitrarily. But what's funny is that, however, you know, and I skipped out on that because I know how to do that after a long time being in the church. But here's the interesting thing is as much, and Melissa was there too. I don't want to shortchange that. Were you there, Kathy? Okay, good. So those four did their own little mini service project, right? Well, however much life gets in the way, they will always have that day and that incident upon which they will joke about. They'll be like, yeah, remember when like she had the, the, the sofa bed and then we started like cussing at her, you know, like they'll, they'll be able to go back to that morning. Was that not funny? Anyone who's moved to sofa bed? Those are the worst. 
Boy, I'm just dropping. You're like, wrap this up. Okay, here's the point. When we do and serve stuff together, it changes who we are. The third thing, we talk about this all the time, is our, our small group fellowships. There's always an intimidation because it's not in this general building. We're telling you to go to a house with somebody. That's one of the reasons we'll tell you. Since we've done small groups here, we always split them up, men and women. And some of you coupling people who are just like, well, I don't want that. Take the moment to divide because we don't let that define who we are. Here at a church, our community isn't defined by you know, whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you have multiple kids, you have no kids. That's, that's, we don't define that way. But we do put us within men and women's groups because there's commonality there and usually there's a chance for openness. And some of you have been like, well, I feel stupid to go to a small group and have a conversation because I'm not that deep in the faith. And what I would tell you is, you've not met how stupid our people are. That we don't make, we seriously don't make biblical knowledge a barrier to coming to Christ. More important, you're there, we talk with people, we connect, and you get deeper. So that's why we do small groups. So there's a chance for you, and they're all starting up new right now. And some of you are like, I don't want to read a book, then don't read the stupid book, you know? And if somebody makes you feel guilty about not reading the book, tell me, and then I'll, I'll, I'll make a sermon for them to make them feel guilty. But it's just this idea that you need to be in community and get to know people, and that's a great entry point. Let me tell you the fourth, which is the most difficult, but I think this is true thing, is just to live in organic relationship. I know that after church day, somebody's going to go and do something, right? Like I heard people already wanting to go to Oktoberfest, and I don't get that at, at all right now on a hot afternoon. But maybe you're just like, I just want to go hang out with some Christian people. Maybe I need to go to Oktoberfest, you know, just for a little while to, to have this experience. Sometimes people go out to dinner, but when we have our af, af, out to lunch afterwards, and it doesn't necessarily happen all the time, but sometimes it's just organic life. And people are like, well, how do I get to that point of organic life? It's the most difficult thing. You just have to be open and willing to do so. That's intimidating, isn't it? We try to make it easy, but there comes this point where you just have to say, am I really created for community? Community, friends, is the most awkward thing you'll ever have to do, right? You're born into family, so you can hate them, all right? Or you're born into family, it's like I show up here at this point where, you know, we have this comfortness. It's tough to be with strangers and do this. It's the toughest thing, I think, to be a part of the family of God because it's tough to come through and just saying, I want to belong. But I will tell you something that we've done well. We don't do a lot of things well here. But one thing is that we have helped to integrate people and help them belong. So again, if you're looking for a place to belong, I'm telling you, this is a community where it can happen. You know, it's, it's funny. I always look out and I start to do this because I'm also, I'm still a minister. I'm like, there's so many people who are gone. You know, people are always gone and they're traveling. And that's what happens when you have a young, hip, traversing church. But um, that's the reason why trying to strive for community is important. Because sometimes we're here and gone, but we maintain that relationship. So if you're looking for that, here's a good place. I tell this spiel to everybody. What my, what's my time? I did it now. This is the worst. I'm all over. Yeah, I'm really wrapping this up. Like, I went a little off hawk here, but I'm really passionate about this. And it's something that's happened to maybe some of you. I know some of you can speak to this. I always called it the Steve speech when you come to visit Echo the first time. Because everybody's like, well, he's the minister. He has to say hi to me. You know, and now I'm not even the minister, I'm just an elder, but I still like it. That's why I like it even more, because it makes it just a little more creepy, not official. I like it. So I'll go to talk to people. I was like, hey, what are you doing? They're like, well, I'm new to town. I'm looking for a church. I was like, praise Jesus. That's a great thing to do. Here's the thing. Um, come back here. You're welcome at Echo. 
But then sometimes you're like, I didn't like that that guy asked me what time it was, and he kept droning on, you know. Um, they had to run out and get, you know, some grape juice late, so it's not chilled the way I like it. Like, there's all these things that you can critique. But this is one of the things that I, this is one of the things I say about this, is that if it's not this congregation, then it needs to be some congregation. To the extent that, since we've had a church website, we have a list of churches on our website that are nearby that we say, if you're not going to be part of this church, go be part of them. And I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Some of the theologies in the churches that are represented on the list, I don't agree with. You know, so part of me is like, I should take them off the list. You know, like, not Christian enough for me. I don't, I think that there's more of a leeway for our theologies that aren't perfect, provided that we're in a faith community of accountability where we can live with each other. So if you're not part of Echo, that's the promise that I, I would make to you. Find a church and even at this point, I have offered to help people find a church. And I have, maybe some of you have done, I've sent people to other churches. To the extent that ministers said, hey, you sent somebody to our church. I was like, yeah, I did. And they're like, well, that's great. And to the extent that other churches have said, hey, can you change the, the URL on our website, you know, like on your website, you know, and I'm just like, fine, I don't care. You know, because at the end of the day, friends, it's not about echo. It's about the church. It's about connectivity. You need to be connected. So ask yourself this. If, this. if that's the thing that you're wondering right now, find the solution to that. Start praying for that. We'll pray for that for you. Find a place where you can nestle and be, and be held accountable. If you are in this place, if you're this person who I've stared at for years, standing up and you're speaking, how can you do that better yourself? And let's ask this question. Are your relationships merely about hanging out with people you like and you've developed this with or are you actively seeking new relationships the joy of my christian life is getting to meet new people who i never knew years before that now become really close friends i love that because it changes me it keeps me awkward and that's what connectivity can do it makes you just have to change who you are that's this level and at the very least, ask yourself, what does it mean then for me to be a follower of Christ in the midst of that? We don't separate the church from Christ because they should be inseparable. Because the only thing is, is that it's filled with humans and we're flawed and that's the key to the Christian faith. So we close this time with a time of communion. How wonderful is that? We've been talking about community, commune, you know, all, all of the etymology swirls around the same thing. You know, we used to do this thing within our Christian churches because if you're Catholic, you'll like us because we do communion every week. We're like one of the only Protestant groups that do communion every week. To the extent that on the west side, my dad was an elder and he would do what was called home communion and they would have a list of shut-ins who couldn't make it to church because they were ill and he would pack this little communion case. It was always fascinating. It was leather and it was like these big trays. You know, we have the, the big communion trays. It's really tiny. And he would put in this leather thing. He'd be like, come on, Steve, we're going to take communion. Maybe this is why I'm a minister. It's like I was like, it was this whole inbred campaign that my dad was doing. I don't understand that. But we would go to somebody who was sick and we would serve them communion. And, you know, I always struggle with that. Because then the more you find out about communion, you know what communion's about. It's about the whole church being together. So I was always torn about that. Because I loved the concept that we were willing to take communion to somebody who was not able to make it into it. I didn't want it to be about the sacrament, though, right? And that's something that we have to understand. What is communion? Communion is about the church being one. Okay, it's not about you digesting something. It's like, this is God blessing me in this point. You know, it's not like this isn't something that you do for you. This is something that 
We do for we. It's what we do. We commune. We're together. So Dylan's going to come up. He's going to play um, some, some background music as we do this. Up here at the front, we have two communion trays. And, um, you know, sometimes we serve it. But today, do me a favor. Is come up after we pray. And in the front pew, grab a piece of bread and a cup and take this back. And can you do me this favor? Which is awkward. You just say hi to somebody as you're doing it. You're like, can I do that? I think I have the authority to allow you to do this. But this is the thing, is that at the very least, understand that we're glad you're here today, but we came to be together. So let's see how that's expressed. We're going to pray. Time for a communion. I know the pews are awkward. Stand up. It's loud. It's noisy. It's awkward to make eye contact with somebody. Friends, life is messy. Let's live it messy together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the culmination of the scriptures, who that we see in the creation in the garden from your calling of a family to come to be a representation to their formation into a nation. All of that culminates in Jesus because the imperfections, Father, just slide off the side when it comes down to your perfection your holiness, and you took that to the cross so that through your death we have the fullness of your grace. Father, help us to see how the we plays into that. More than an obsession with what I'm getting out of the church, help us to see how we are part of something that's dynamic, something that's challenging, something that's difficult, but Father, that's what faith is. So convict us. Convict us of these places where we've been too solo. Convict us of these ideas of individualism that we've harbored too long and help us to see each other for what you've called us. Thanks for bringing us together today. Thanks for the cross and thanks for the opportunity to commune. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.